Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com. Thank you for coming to Liquid Church. My name is Pastor Tom, and I am so excited to welcome you here to a brand new series called Eli, an old school prophet with a modern message. And no matter who you are or what situation you find yourself in, every single person here is going to be able to directly apply a lesson or two from this radical guy named Elijah, right, who many scholars actually consider the greatest prophet of all time. I mean, here's just one example of how Elijah stood out from everyone else. He never died. Yeah, he, he never died. In fact, in 2 Kings, it says that suddenly this chariot of fire, do you remember this? A chariot of fire appeared, and Elijah went up to heaven in like this whirlwind. I mean, you talk about a final chapter in life. That is incredible, right? But then, here's the thing, about a thousand years later, this same Elijah reappeared on a mountaintop, and he's sitting there talking with Jesus. And then later on, towards the end of Jesus' life, we're told that he's literally, Jesus is like, he's hanging on the cross, right? And some of these onlookers there thought that Jesus was calling on the help of Elijah, yeah, the Bible actually records the crowd as saying, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Yet later, in James chapter 5, verse 17, we're told, Elijah was a man just like us. I mean, who is this guy, right? He, he never dies. He reappears hundreds of years later. People actually bet on him to save Jesus and yet at all at the same time, we're supposedly just like him? You know what? Maybe that's why Hollywood has actually invested millions of dollars trying to tap into some of that legendary, you know, Elijah mystique in its recent movie, The Book of Eli. How many of you guys have actually seen that movie, right? Yeah, pretty good. It was a pretty good movie, right? Not bad, right? A solitary man, right, Elijah, walks to earth with this sacred, secret book, hidden in his heart, right? So one thing is certain, whether we're talking about the silver screen or the actual scriptures, this guy, Eli, demands your attention. They say the war tore a hole in the sky. Only a few survived. That was... Thirty winters ago, I have been walking ever since. Our only hope is in my hands. Some would kill to have it. 
put that hand on me again, you won't get it back. All right, well, I'll do it the hard way. Well, I don't know if uh, Elijah actually looked like Denzel Washington, but you know what? That movie does sort of capture the sort of desolate wasteland that Elijah actually inhabited. You see, Israel was filled with drought and despair. And Elijah spent a lot of his time in the desert roaming this sort of apocalyptic landscape as he brought God's word to his people. See, that's what a prophet did. He literally brought the word of God to the people of God. Right? That was his job, and, and that caused big-time problems for Elijah. See, at that moment in Israel's history, the people had been ruled by 19 consecutive evil kings. And the current king at the time, King Ahab, he was the most wicked of them all. The, the Bible actually says that Ahab did more in evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. For starters, right, he totally ignored God. He, he actually worshipped this false god, Baal, right? And, and he was also married to this woman named Jezebel, a queen who many historians say was actually the most wicked woman ever to walk this earth. I don't know whose job it was to figure that out, but it's true, right? She actually took pleasure in putting prophets and priests to death. So, I mean, this was like a dark, dark time for Israel, but especially for Elijah. And this is also where we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 17. Let me invite you to open up, go ahead, open up your Bible to page 248. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to try something a little bit special here. You know, in, in keeping with this whole sort of apocalyptic feel of, a, of Elijah's story, we've actually enlisted the help of another cinematic star to read, help us read our passage for today. Okay, So follow along in 1 Kings chapter 17 as we tune in to the story of Eli. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Some time later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Dryness, drought, I mean, what do you do when life actually dries up right before you. See, that's the dilemma that Elijah actually faced. And you couldn't actually blame the guy, right, if you think about it, because he, he probably thought that he brought it upon himself. 
You see, at that time, Ahab and Jezebel were leading this like nationwide religious revival, not for the Lord, but for this pagan god, Baal. And here's where you've got to think for a second. Do you know who Baal was? Baal was the lord of the clouds and the storm. In other words, when you worship Baal, he would like open up, the, the, the understanding was he would open up the heavens and it would start raining on your crops so that you would be well fed. And so that your kids could go to college. And that one day you could retire in Florida. That was the idea, right? That's, that's what Baal the rain god did. And everything was moving along great until in walks this stranger, Eli. And he's from this wasteland. And he says to this evil king, out of nowhere, he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I mean, you talk about a party crasher. But, but you know what? Prophets were like that, though. They actually spoke truth to power. And Eli's grand entrance on the scene is confrontational. He gets right up in the grill of this diabolical duo, and he says, you know what? By the power of my God, there won't be a single drop of rain in this land for years until I say so. In other words, Baal, this so-called god of thunder, god of the storms, he's done for. And you've got to imagine, Ahab and Jezebel, they must have been like, what? Who are you? I, I never even heard of you before. I mean, it is on now, right? I mean, this is getting serious. I mean, you just can't walk into the corridors of power and threaten a nation's livelihood. I mean, them's fighting words. And so you got to figure, okay, this is where, this must be like where the mighty man of God stands up to the enemies of, uh, of, of good and the enemies of God, right? But no, that's in Hollywood, not in the real world. See, in the real world, when you confront someone with a bad heart and an even bigger army, you better head for the hills, and that's exactly what God told Elijah to do. Hide in the hills. Verses 2 and 3 say this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and what's the word there? Hide. Hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Do, do you see what's happening here? The people have abandoned God, and he's saying, enough is enough. But rather than sort of raise up this army of men and women to take a stand against this evil king, God actually does something that he often does. Instead of raising up this army, he raises up just one person, just one man, an army of one, so to speak. And I wonder if maybe today... God actually wants to do something similar right here. You know, maybe find one righteous person who will, who's actually willing to speak God's truth to power. You know, maybe today right here there's, there's a business person who needs to take a stand for integrity in an environment where integrity just doesn't get you the bottom numbers that you need. Or maybe today right here there's a, there's a young gal or a young guy who God wants you to take a stand for sexual purity, despite what the world and your friends keep telling you. You see, God often raises up one person 
to do a huge thing. But here's the secret. God actually won't use that person totally until that person is totally broken. And by broken, I mean totally dependent on God for His strength and His sustenance. If everything around you seems to be drying up, can God be counted on to provide? It's hard to take a stand if it costs you personally, isn't it? But Elijah obeys and God provides in a miraculous way. Verse 5 says, So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, this is interesting. The, the name of the place that God leads him to is actually the Kareth Ravine, which in Hebrew actually means to be cut off, to be cut down. And so in case you've somehow missed the, the sort of desperate situation that we've got here, this is the author's way of actually sort of getting on a bullhorn and making it crystal clear to everyone, hey, 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 listen up. God intentionally led Elijah to a dry spell, a, a season of being cut off, of actually being cut down. That was deliberate. You know, it's as though God were saying to him, you think standing up to these two clowns was something? That was nothing compared to how much more I want to actually use you. But not until I take you through boot camp. Because you know what? You need to be trained. You need to be humbled. You need to be broken. You need to learn how to totally depend on me for every single breath, for every single day, because I want to use you so bad. But here's the thing. I won't use you in a mighty way publicly until I humble you privately. Author A.W. Tozer put it this way. It's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. In other words, before God can do a greater work through us, He has to do a deeper work in us. He breaks us so that we're completely dependent on Him. See, God provides for Elijah bread and meat from the ravens. He, he, Elijah is literally fed by the hand of God, right? As he drinks from the brook every day. But then suddenly, as quick as God provided, what happens? Life dries up. Verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. I mean, are you, are you kidding me? I mean, just imagine for a second that you're Elijah here. You've been handpicked by God to bring His Word to these people. You risk your life. I mean, you go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the most diabolical duo ever. Right? And you tell them, God is going to rebuke you. And he's going to hold back the rain. But then, your life drives up. I mean, not only are the evil folks punished, we, we knew that was coming, but you, you are cut off too. I mean, talk about backfire. Have you ever felt 
like you've done everything right. I mean, you've followed God to the T. You've crossed your I's and crossed your T's and all that stuff. I mean, you held fast to his words. You sacrificed everything to obey him only to have it bite you in the butt. Let me give you a couple examples here, okay? Say that you uh, marry a, a Christian guy, right? Some of you, you marry a Christian guy and he says that he loves the Lord and you both stay pure and you follow all the rules and, and years later, he just like wakes up one day and he just decides, I don't really love you anymore. And then he leaves. I mean, what do you do when your marriage dries up? Or maybe God has always provided you with a job. You've been fortunate, right? And, and not only have you been fortunate, but you've been faithful, man. You go to work every single day. You give your heart. You give your soul. You honor your employer. You're always loyal. You're always on time. You always stay late. You are faithful with your money. You tithe every week. All that stuff. You play by the rules. And then one day, you get a pink slip. And now, it's been almost a full year since you've been employed. I mean, what do you do when your career dries up? I mean, the hard truth of life is that no matter how long you walk this earth, at some point, part of your life will dry up. And it is confusing, especially if you believe that God is the one who led you there in the first place. Right? So, as, you, as you're kind of holding this bag of sand in, in your hands right now, I want you to imagine what Elijah must have been thinking at this point. I followed God faithfully, even risked my life to deliver his word, and this, this is the thanks that I get? I mean, things aren't supposed to roll this way. You listen to God, you're supposed to be blessed. Things aren't supposed to get worse, Right? Life is not supposed to get worse if you start obeying and following God, but it actually does sometimes get worse. Welcome to the world of Eli. So as you hold that bag of sand, just go ahead right now. Everyone take a look at that bag of sand in your hand right now. Okay? As you hold that bag of sand right now, I want each person here to think about this. What part of your life has dried up. What is one area in your life where you feel like God has, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, He has allowed things to dry up? At one time, I mean, you were sure, you were positive that this was God's provision, that He led you here. You relied on it. It was a source of security. But now, now it's just like that. It got taken away from you. Uh, for some of you, it might be in your marriage or, or maybe a dating relationship, right? Something that was once rich and nourishing and good for your soul is now lifeless or barren. Maybe for some of you, it's actually your relationship with God himself. I've talked to many of you like that. You've described a spiritual life that was once vibrant and refreshing, but now it is dead and lifeless. For others of you, maybe it's a job or a career path. I mean, I was having coffee with a, with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. He's a big-time entrepreneur, right? An experienced entrepreneur. He had started his own business. And at one point, he was making some serious waves. But then just like that, everything dried up. No explanation. To the point where this guy, 
is actually now scrambling for rent money. It's even starting to affect his health. Now what? You see, we've all got areas in our lives that were once flourishing, where we feel as though God was the one who actually handpicked us and led us there. He put us in that right exact spot, and he gave us plenty to eat and plenty to drink. I mean, these were good times, but then, without explanation or warning, it all dried up, and things have been dry ever since. What is that for you? What's that one area in life where you feel like God has intentionally, for whatever reason, allowed things to dry up? If you can think of that area right now, a relationship, a family matter, a business situation, or or just life in general, go ahead, take out that pen. You can go ahead and click it there. I want you to write it down on your bag. What is that place for you that God led you, and now it's dry? And and by you writing it down, let me say this. Let this be your way of actually acknowledging, or maybe for some of you, for actually pleading to God right now. God, honestly, honestly, here is where I feel like my life is dried up. And I, I seriously do not get it, God. What are you doing? I mean, you are the one that brought me here. But now, now it's like nothing but dirt. It's nothing but sand. And I, I need your supernatural guidance. I need your instruction. I need your help to get out of this dry place. Folks, as you're doing that, as you're writing it down on that bag right now, I want to I show you a real-life example from a young mom named Dawn who was blessed by God with children. Okay? And when they first arrived, it is like a babbling brook. I mean, it is all pure joy. But day after day, in the often isolating task of motherhood, she came to the extremely honest realization that it felt like her life, her joy, was now drying up. I have to be honest. I never wanted kids. I got married, I got into my career, and I found a lot of satisfaction in what I did there. I think somewhere deep down inside, I knew there were gonna be a lot of work, and I didn't feel like I was prepared to deal with such a hard job. Guys, I can hear you guys fighting. Can you guys just stay focused, please? Hi. Emma is my firstborn. She tends to be very responsible. Mm -hmm. Sam is my second, and he's very smart and creative. And then there's Thomas. He's six, and he is non-stop boy. Well, my life in the morning is kind of like being a general um, coming out of a tornado. Sam, that is his quarter. Leave him alone. I have to get the troops up. I have to get them dressed. And I get them out the door to get them to school on time. Bye guys. Have a good day, Sam. And once I drop my kids off, I get some much needed personal time. The role of a mom has been hard for me at times. 
I feel like I'm never doing enough and there's always something more to do. There's this internal image of the perfect mom that I can never really measure up to. Or I fall into the isolation that comes from being a mom. Especially when they were really young, I would go sometimes weeks without seeing friends because my kids were sick or not sleeping and it was very isolated. In all these areas, God has been patiently healing my heart. His grace has shown that I don't need to be a perfect person. And the more I rely on His wisdom and strength, the easier my task becomes. Hey, good to see you, sweetie. To go from not wanting kids to actually seeing my role as a mom, as a high calling and something valuable, has been a gradual process. I've realized that God has called all of us to be faithful with what He's given us. And in my case, it's my kids. I think one day if I was sitting across from God, I'd like to hear Him say, Don, you did it. I know you didn't go into this with all the equipment that maybe other people went with, but didn't I know better than you did? And wasn't there a tremendous blessing in taking you down this road? You were obedient to my call, and you did a good job of raising these kids. Well done. Please help me to have a good day at the picnic. And please help me have a good night's sleep. In your name, amen. Any mothers out there honest enough to admit that you actually identify with that? I just love the way how Dawn came right out and said it. She said, I have to be honest. Being a mom is hard. It's isolating at times. I used to find a lot of satisfaction in my career, and now that part of my life seems dried up. Where has your brook dried up? Now, what's encouraging is how Dawn actually shared towards the end how she went from not wanting kids, right, to actually seeing that process of motherhood as a way that God actually shaped and healed her heart. In other words, what started out as a purely sort of professional pursuit of one woman actually dried up, and then it eventually blossomed into this loving family of five as if to sort of whisper to God, and to each of us actually, that sometimes God intentionally allows parts of our life to actually dry up before it can become an even greater blessing to so many others around us. And you see, that's the twist in Elijah's story. Elijah's brook dried up, and he must have been wondering what on earth God was up to. But after a season, God answers him. Let's hear the rest of the story, beginning with verse 8 here. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. 
I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was standing there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Some time later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. How did Eli go from being deserted next to this dry riverbed, okay? Everything's all dried up to becoming this instrument by which the living God actually resurrects a boy from the dead? Answer? Because God often has to do a deep work in us before he can do a greater work through us. See, God uses a dry spell in Eli's life to bring a dead boy back to life. And that widow, that widow had been alone in her suffering for years and years as well. But when God allowed Eli's brook to dry up, it actually forced him to help her and her son. See, that's actually one of the blessings of finding yourself in a desert place. When things dry up in one area of your life, sometimes it actually gives you the courage to move forward to a new place where God wants to perform an even greater miracle. See, Elijah meets this woman in her pain. She was a victim of the drought as well. Remember how, remember how he asked for drink and, and something to eat? What was her response? Did you catch that? In, in verse 12, she's like, look, I don't even have enough things for, for me and my son. We're about to die, thank you. And you know what? When her son actually does die, Elijah prays to his God in heaven, and the boy is brought back to life. And that's when this widow says, now I know that you are a man of God. Why did all of this happen? Because God took Eli to the Kareth Ravine where life dried up. 
God took him into a season of total dependence where he couldn't depend on anything or anyone but God alone. Remember that quote from Tozer? It's doubtful that God can bless or use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Some of you right now, you're in a season of deep, deep pain. Maybe you actually feel like your life has dried up. You're in like this ravine, in this, in this sort of ditch. And the thing that you once depended on, the thing that you once thanked God for, the thing that you had security in, that thing is now gone. But God may actually be saying to you, listen, I'm doing something in you right now so that one day I can do something even greater through you. Folks, do you believe, do you believe that God can use this dry spell to take you to a place you would never, ever choose on your own so that he could perform a miracle through you? See, that's the secret of Eli. And isn't that really the secret of the cross as well? I mean, when you think about it, as Jesus hung there, in our place, in our stead, stretched out like who? Like Elijah did. When he hung there and he was stretched out and he cried, Eloi, Eloi, Sabakatani, and that's when people thought that he was crying out for Elijah, when in reality, right, that's just a foreshadowing, folks. In reality, Jesus was actually saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? In other words, my life has dried up completely. I am all alone, completely abandoned. I'm on the cross. Jesus was hanging there, stretched out on the cross. He was rejected, isolated, and everything was stripped from him. But on the other hand, what was on the other side of the ravine? It's the resurrection. The resurrection. See, that's the business that God specializes in. And God can do that in your life. Do you believe that? You may be in the valley right now, but on the other side of the desert place is new life. A fresh start. That is the gospel. In our moment of brokenness and need, when we are alone in our sin and despair, Jesus spread himself out on a cross. And he went through his own Kareth ravine and brought you and me back to himself. Folks, that is our hope. That's who Elijah is pointing to. He is pointing to Jesus Christ. And if you're in a place like that today, that's who you need. In fact, if you're hurting or feel like some part of you has actually dried up, you've known since the get-go, even since we got this bag, you knew, oh man, that's the place. If you're hurting right now or you feel like some area of your life has dried up and you need God's presence in a fresh way, would you do me a favor? Would you go ahead and with me lift up that bag of sand right now? Go ahead, don't be afraid. This is between you and God. Lift up that bag of sand right now. I've got mine. I wrote my thing on as well. Hold them up, all of our campuses right now. Just lift your bag up high, and I want to pray for you right now. Let's pray. God, right now, 
I'm, I'm in this room full of people. And we've got this dirt in our hands. And God, this dirt that we're holding in our hands, there was a day where we thought it was the greatest blessing. And that you had actually led us here, and we were fed here daily, and we drank here daily, and it was good. It was so, so good. But right now, it is dry. And we're in the Kareth Ravine. We are in a ditch. And this thing that was once such a blessing and that you had led us to, somehow, for whatever reason, we don't know, God, we're trusting you. We don't know why, but it has dried up. So my prayer right now is that, God, everyone who is holding their personal desert in their hand right now, I pray that you would continue to do a work in them and so prepare to do an even greater work through them just as you did for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, right now, just take a moment. Just keep your eyes closed. Just take a moment right now and just, just have that time with God right now. Offer Him your sand right now. Offer Him that dry place. Offer Him that Kareth Ravine, that dried up brook right now. Offer it to Him. And tell Him how it hurts you. And tell him how you've been confused. And you've become maybe even bitter. But that you are trusting that because he is the same God today as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. Because he was the same God of Elijah, that he is your God. And that he can turn that dry place into an even greater blessing again. Just take a moment to say that to him. God, you hear our prayers. Answer every one in your good, precious, and perfect timing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Audio. If this message has touched you, we'd love to know how. Just email Pastor Dave Adamson at churchonline at liquidchurch.com. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com.